annual gathering, almost like a mecca of, uh, of pastors in Los Angeles, and there were 4,500 pastors that gathered together. They're still there right now to hear preaching and fellowship and get trained in different ways. So uh, there were messages from guys like Steve Lawson and John MacArthur, Al Moeller, Ligon Duncan, Mark Dever, a guy named H.B. Charles Jr. He preached a message yesterday, and you preachers should listen to it. It was unbelievable. And a whole host of others, a guy named Joel Beakey, Austin Duncan, all these guys were up front laying it down, and it was a great time away. So about 50 guys from FBC went. Most of them are still up there. I came back so I could be with all of you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, that being said, uh, our staff uh, in the past, and particularly George Terry, has asked me if I would share from time to time things that I'm learning while I'm going through seminary. And I really haven't been very faithful to do that. But there's a topic that I wanted to address that, that was very helpful to me in my thinking and, I, and something I'd never really thought about or articulated that I want to help you with tonight. And uh, it comes from a, I was taking a church history class with a professor named John Wilsey, and uh, it was the second half of church history, which is from the Reformation until today, and this man is, a, is a, a scholar and a student of American history in particular, and how the religious aspect of America came into fruition, how America was formed, and on. And he wrote a book, I brought it with me, called American Exceptionalism and Civil Religion. It's right here. And every seminary class I've taken, so far, I've had to buy a book written by the professor of that class. And I really think it's just, a, it's just like a really, you know, below the knees way of getting more books sold. They, they assign that to their students. And so when I picked this book up and I looked at the title, like you probably all did this week when you got the email. You don't get the email? Well, you should get our email. It comes out every week, tells you what's going on in the ministry. You can sign up for that on our website. But American exceptionalism, and I thought, what the heck is that? I don't know what that is. I don't want to read this. Seems like a dead paperweight that's going to be in my library. But I was assigned to read it. I had to read it, and so I did. And the book uh, turned out to be something that was very helpful for me, and I hope to pass on a lot of the things that are coming directly from Will, John Wilsey uh, to you through me tonight. So hopefully there's no plagiarism here, but just some ideas that I've taken from him and a lot of his information. Uh, and I'm citing him, so that's why it's not plagiarism. Is that fair? Uh, very good. Uh, yeah. typically we open the Bible if you're new with us and we just teach out of God's word. And so tonight's a little bit of a deviation and I would say this is less of a sermon and more of a lecture. Uh, but I think you're going to find this helpful, so we'll find out. I want to ask you a few questions tonight about the United States of America. I want to talk about what that means to you uh, as a citizen of these United States as well as a citizen of heaven and a, a Christian under God's economy and how those two things actually fit together. The first question I want to ask is this. Is number one, this is a simple outline, there's three of these questions. The first one, if you're taking copious notes, is uh, this question. Is America exceptional? Is America exceptional? <laughs> Another way of asking this is MAGA. Make, is America great? Make America great again. Is America a great country? That's the question. So give me some things about America that you would say make us a great country. Just shout out a few ideas. Go ahead. Freedom. Freedom. Yes, go. Come on. Innovation. Disneyland. Innovation. What else? Capitalism. Capitalism. Yes. 
In and out. Ah, you wouldn't have swallowed these chickens. What in the heck? All right, I'll I'll just I'm gonna go. No, not Nacho Libre, but the product of America from a Mexican heritage. This is the land of the free, and it's the home of the brave. We have a constitution that dictates the laws of our land. We have the first fully functional democracy since Rome. It's the land of religious freedom. It's a land of liberty, which is an extended experiment that continues to work. The land of opportunity, a place where education and freedom and equality reigns. We have a Bill of Rights that defines what is due to you as a citizen just because you were born on this geographical soil. We have a unique history founded as a country seeking religious freedoms in a new land. Uh, used by God to help others, to rescue, to police, and define the world order. That is America. Scientific and technological advancements that are unparalleled in other nations. It was from America that... Uh, you can try. I've been working on this thing for a long time. Oh, oh, look at you. That's too high, Mark. It was from America that we were given the combustion engine, the automobile, the airplane, the light bulb, the telegraph, the telephone, the nuclear bomb, the credit card, chocolate chip cookies, the computer, and so many other inventions, both scientific, medical, and technological. You better believe that America is a great nation, isn't it? I would say it is an exceptional nation. This concept is something that even as I'm talking, you feel a sense of American pride welling up in you. I certainly do. This is something that Americans believe. We have baseball, basketball, and football. And we declare world champions even though we only play this game within our little country. Right? We have Coca-Cola, apple pie, and I would say McDonald's because that's more American than In-N-Out. We have pickup trucks, Facebook, and Amazon. We have Apple, Nike, and Ford. We have Hollywood, NASA, and we invented the internet. This is all American concepts. At heart, we are patriots who love the stars and stripes, appreciate living in the land of the free and the home of the brave, and who have no problem articulating that we live in the greatest nation on earth. We love our country to the extent that we believe America is better than other countries, don't we? Uh, more technologically advanced, more socially advanced, more comfortable to us. We don't have many of the problems of other nations where the government is oppressive or the water is not clean or religion is controlled. Uh, if asked, many would say America is better and some might even say America is superior. There's a sense of national pride there, certainly, but there's also a sense of general pride there, isn't there? Uh, it's the reason why you travel to a place outside of your country and Americans are identified very quickly as being different and typically an annoyance to whatever country that we're in because we immediately get there and insist that they are what? Anybody know? Doing everything wrong. And Americans typically go to other countries and, and begin to tell people that we do it this way in America. As if to say America's right and y'all are wrong. Um, yeah. It's just not the way it is back home. So, let's just, let's just establish, can we? Would you agree with me that America is exceptional? Yes? Are you, are you okay with that? So I'm not trying to trap you. <laughs> right? I'm, I'm trying to lead you to water, and we'll get there in time. 
I would say yes, America is exceptional. Okay, so number two. What made and what makes, continues to make America exceptional? It was a man named John Winthrop. He was the first governor of the Massachusetts Bay Colony who in 1630 said, quote, America is a city set on a hill. The eyes of all people are upon us, end quote. The idea that America is different was evident from its very beginning. It looked at the slovenly nature of Europe. I wrote that myself. It looked at the slovenly nature of Europe, unchanged uh, over a thousand years, held captive to the religious controls and ideals of the past, and it desired something new and different. America represented a break from this past with an eye uh, toward progress and an open future. And a a hope, uh, and for this hope, people by the droves left Europe and braved the long, arduous, and dangerous journey across the Atlantic to find a new and better destiny. You feel like you're in history class yet? It was the War of Independence in the late 1700s that, um, in which America set her eyes upon the injustices of England because of unfair taxes and subservience to a throne that was more than 2,000 miles away. And this revolution, this War of Independence, was seen as a breakaway. Listen to this. Even as an exodus from a place where there was bondage into a new land of freedom, a land flowing with opportunity, freedom, well, not so much milk and honey, but similar. If you look at the back of a dollar bill, you'll find a, a, the Great Pyramid with the floating all-seeing eye. And while it does not lead to America's treasure, the national treasure, uh, it does the, represent the providential eye of God upon this new land. Two phrases written on the back of that dollar in Latin. I won't tell you the Latin phrases, but what they read in English is, first, God approves our undertaking. And second, a new order for the ages. That is to say, America is divinely orchestrated and America has a divine direction. This fledgling country, having established a constitution and a bill of rights, which is a true democracy, not beholden to kings or queens, but to a leadership of elected officials, began an experiment in liberty and equality. A government of the people, by the people, and for the people. The 19th century, what years were those? Good, see, you count backwards, so it's the 1800s, good. The 19th century brought great growth due not only to the Industrial Revolution, but also to many other inventions and technological and even scientific breakthroughs. Like George Washington Carver, who invented the peanut. I'm just kidding. He did work with peanuts and invented peanut butter. And I, can we just say... Thank you to George Washington Carver. <laughs> Just an amazing, amazing breakthrough. Uh, but in addition, westward expansion brought about tremendous growth in this you know, new territory, natural resources, and a growing footprint for these United States. The term first coined in 1845, you'll recognize it from high school history, manifest destiny, was used to define America's divine mandate and expansion from Atlantic to Pacific bringing the American brand of liberty, democracy, equality, personal freedoms, and a virtuous society to the entire continent. But there was a problem with this ideal that Americans faced, this manifest destiny, as it was offered only to the white man. Uh, And this is 
the darkest of many marks in American history. In fact, I, some of my reading was talking about the four levels that were inherent in that time. And there was, there was first um, a Christian man, and then a gentleman, and then an American, and then a white man, all saying the supremacy of the Aryans. In 1832, a man named Thomas, Thomas Dew, referring to the, to the black man, summarizing the thinking of the time, in regards to white versus black, wrote this, quote, he forever wears the indelible symbol of his inferior condition. The Ethiopian cannot change his skin, nor the leopard his spots, end quote, as he butchered the true meaning of that passage of scripture, using it to declare the supremacy of white and the subservience of black. This matter of Anglo supremacy was finally confronted in the bloodiest war in American history. The Civil War pitted a nation against itself and it was a fight to the death over the issue of slavery and over the issue of uh, black versus white. The great statesman Abraham Lincoln argued that the Declaration of Independence applied to all people, um, whether white or black or any other color, because, quote, all men are created equal, end quote. He went back to the Declaration. He said, you cannot find that this refers to anything except for human beings. Lincoln, unparalleled, fought in Washington with his amazing speeches and his iron will stood the test of a political war <laughs> that he won and drove the country towards uh, freedom in, in, in that regard. And at the same time, Ulysses S. Grant's incredible efforts in a, the physical war defeated Robert E. Lee's Confederate army. In the end, freedom prevailed and America was reformed in the wake of this, um, this crazy war. Part of that reformation, this burgeoning nation continued to grow into the 20th century, which is 1900s and beyond, thank you, um, where it was again tested by war on a global scale. Entering into both World War I and World War II, America joined the fight for humanity, for peace, for justice, now on a global scale. Fast forward through the 1950s to the 1980s and what we call the, you wouldn't know this, you would know this, but I'm not defining one of the Cold War, um, with the collapse of the Soviet Union and the bringing down of the Berlin Wall, and the greatest enemies of the world were temporarily put to rest, and America now dealt with internal cultural issues. That is until September 11, 2001, when uh, terrorists flew two Boeing 767s into the side of the World Trade Centers. Right, This act of war, while it was designed to cripple America, galvanized the nation reigniting and renewing America's mission as the keeper of the nations uh, as we then declared war on terror. In this and through this, America positioned herself as a policeman, maybe even as a protector to the rest of the world, stepping in to help other countries who are unable to govern themselves, providing humanitarian efforts, stopping oppressive regimes, governing the nuclear abilities of other superpowers, and in many ways standing as the guardian for world peace, America has set herself apart and above other countries in this world. In short, America seems to stand as an anointed nation chosen by God, sent by God to do his work in this world. And here we sit as patriotic, flag-waving Americans, and I would say, yes, I agree. America, again, is an exceptional and great country. And all of you with me say what? You agree? Ah, oh, good. It is an amazing place and I love it. And you still are 
wondering where I'm going. <laughs> so that brings us to point number three, which is, so what are the dangers inherent in this type of thinking? And this is really where the Christian needs to put their hat on and recognize there's a difference between being an American citizen and being a citizen of heaven. And again, I say, how do those two things fit together in a way that's helpful? So I want to give you just a handful of things to think about, and hopefully this will spark uh, more thinking in your minds. And uh, I think there's maybe five of these. Like, I'm not really sure. But I'm just going to – I'll just roll through them, and you guys can really see where we're going with this concept. First is this, dangers. The first one, it's long, but it's okay. Biblically speaking, America should not even be here. Biblically speaking, America should not even be here. The danger of saying America is great, if you really look according to what the Bible says, is we're, we shouldn't even be a country. The Revolutionary War that our textbooks tell us was a holy war, a righteous war, a war in which the colonists pushed back against a corrupt system that was taking advantage of them, unfairly taxing them, and denying them of the freedoms that they had come to appreciate. And yes, we would agree with those things, but none of these, listen carefully, are biblical reasons to start a new Christian country. Have you ever thought about this before? Have you ever really considered this? The Bible is clear in how Christians are to handle oppression, unfairness, and even outright persecution from unjust governments. And let me give you a clue. It's not revolution. It's not to take up arms it's not to declare independence. Let me show you from Scripture what the Bible calls Christians to do as it pertains to government. Open to Romans chapter 13, verse 1. Jenna, this is not a history lesson, okay? You got, you got here late and know it's funny, but we're talking about America and what makes America great. And now we're talking about there are certain dangers to thinking America is the end-all, be-all. So you're caught up. So Romans 13, <laughs> verse 1. I want to show you a few things in your Bible tonight, so we're going to flip around a little bit. Like I told you earlier, this is more of a lecture than a sermon, so bear with me because I'm not a good lecturer. But at some point, this will turn into a sermon, so just wait for that. All right, <laughs> Romans 13.1. Let's look at what it says there. Paul says, every person, there are no caveats, there are no special regards, there's no one outside of every person. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. And notice what's after the word authorities. What is it? It's a period, okay? That is a complete thought of who we are supposed to be as Christians in subjection to those who are in the government over us. Now, he gives us more, though. He says, for there is no authority except from God. Okay, God is the giver of authority. And those which exist are established by God. United States, Russia... Iran, um, uh, Nigeria, you name it, Chile, Chile, I don't know. Uh, none of those are, they're all, it says they're established by God. I don't know why I look at Terrell for that. Verse 2. Let's hope somebody would help me. He's the closest one. Verse 2. Therefore, now check this, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. And when you wave the flag saying those, those founding fathers, godly, amazing men, they did not follow this verse two. Whoever resists authority opposes the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. That's a pretty harsh statement. 
and we'll leave it there. There's more in this, this passage, but I just wanted to establish a couple things here. One, God establishes all authority. And second, God has placed us as citizens under the authority of our nation. Yes? That's biblical. Okay, flip over to 1 Peter chapter 2, and let's look at what he has to say. 1 Peter 2, verse 13. The people to whom Peter is writing are under the intense persecution of the Roman Empire. They are being martyred. They are, they are having property taken from them. They are in a really bad state as Christians. And look what he says to them in 1 Peter 2, 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. You got that? Put yourself under this authority. 15, for such is the will of God. Wow. God's will for you is that you would submit. For such is the will of God that by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. And I love how he finishes in verse 17. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. It's pretty clear. It's pretty clear even in difficult circumstances. Christians are called to submit and if necessary to endure unfair and even harsh treatment. Never are we called to be revolutionaries. Finally, I won't have you turn there, but in 1 Timothy 2.1, it says, First of all, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men. Paul is calling for us to pray for all. And in verse 2, he says this, specifically for kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. We are called to pray for our leaders, not take up arms against them. Okay? So... I go back and I, I tell you the danger again. Biblically speaking, America shouldn't even be here, okay? Second one is this. America is not God's chosen nation. America is not God's chosen nation. Many Christians assume that God chose America to be his special people and to accomplish his special work in this world. And certainly God does, um, God, God does choose certain people to use and even to bless, in 1 Kings 11, God chose David to be king. In Psalm 78, he chose the tribe of Judah. In 2 Chronicles 6, he chose Jerusalem to be his city. When Jesus stepped on the scene, he chose 12 men to be his disciples. And in 1 Timothy chapter 5, it tells us that even the, the angels, the holy angels, are chosen by God. But let me make something really clear. God has chosen a nation and a people to be his own, and it's not America. Right? It is Israel. And it's all over the Old Testament. Listen to Deuteronomy 7, verse 6. It says it very clearly. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. There is a chosen nation, and it's not America. Now, uh, flip over to Genesis chapter 17, verse 7. Oh, yeah, we're going to be all over the Old Testament. This will be good. Genesis 17, verse 7. This is when God puts Abraham to sleep and he makes a covenant unilateral with Abraham. He says in 17.7, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. I will give to you and to your descendants after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession and I will be their God. What's the simple truth here? God has a people, and their name is Israel. That's right. 
Now, has God used America to accomplish his purposes? So we would say that America is not the nation of God, that America is not God's chosen nation, but God, has God used America to accomplish his purposes? The answer is? Yes. Yes, of course. In Daniel chapter 2, verse 20, I won't, I won't have you turn there, but it says this. Ah, you can turn there. We'll turn to all these passages. Daniel 2, verse 20. These are good verses to underline, the ones I'm going to give you tonight. It's okay. You can underline your Bible, Nick. Yeah, I know. It does feel like it uh, disrespects the author, but it's okay. Rudy, what's up? I'm glad you're here. Daniel 2.20. <laughs> Daniel says this. Follow. Let the name of God be blessed forever and ever, for wisdom and power belong to him. It is he who changes the times and the epochs. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. What do we take away from that? God is sovereign, and God controls what happens in the world of men. Flip over to Proverbs 21, verse 1. Another verse to underline. Proverbs 21, verse 1. Yeah, you're getting a little theology lesson at the same time. Proverbs 21, 1, simple verse, amazing truth. It says, the king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. God is in control of what happens in the nations. And Daniel says in 4.35 that his purposes are unthwarted in this phrase, none can stay his hand. God is in control. Now flip over to Jeremiah chapter 51, verse 20. I know, it's in the Old Testament, I promise. Jeremiah 51, verse 20. Having used Babylon to judge Israel for their disobedience, Israel was deported in the time of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right, for 70 years um, into Babylon, and God had used Babylon for that purpose. And now God is promising that he's going to use another nation to judge Babylon for their disobedience. And this reference in Jeremiah 51 verse 20 is a reference to Cyrus, the king of Persia. And it says this, Jeremiah 51 20, this is God speaking. He's speaking about Persia. He says, you are my war club, my weapon of war. And with you, I shall shatter nations. And with you, I destroy kingdoms. With you, I shatter the horse and his rider. And with you, I shatter the chariot and its rider. And with you, I shatter man and woman. And with you, I shatter old man and youth. And with you, I shatter young man and virgin. And with you, I shatter the shepherd and his flock. And with you, I shatter the farmer and his team. And with you, I shatter governor and prefects. It's pretty strong. Look at verse 24. But I will repay Babylon and all the inhabitants of Chaldea for all their evil that they have done in Zion before your eyes, declares the Lord. So God has used Babylon to judge Israel, and now God is using a godless nation, Babylon first, and now Persia to judge Babylon. Look at verse 33. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, the daughter of Babylon is like a threshing floor. At the time it is stamped firm, yet in a little while the, the time of harvest will come for her. God is coming with his winnowing fork to judge. Look at verse 37. Babylon will become a heap of ruins, a haunt of jackals, an object of horror and hissing without inhabitants. Yikes. What I'm trying to get across in a long way, let me summarize it very succinctly, is that God does use nations. He used Babylon. He used uh, here Persia. He used Egypt in the past. 
He has used America in the present. Yes, God uses nations, but I will tell you very clearly one more time, America is not God's chosen people, okay? God's chosen nation. So that brings us to the third concept here. Are you all following me so far? All right. You gotta throw up the flag and say I'm done. You can just get up and walk out, it's okay. I don't like history. America, thirdly, America is not innocent. America is not innocent. We like to think of America um, as in this amazing country that has nothing hiding behind the curtain and nothing swept under the rug, no skeletons in the closet. We stand up and, and put our hands up and say, look at the white gloves. America is clean and we are uh, the justice-keeping, virtuous uh, woman of integrity. I don't know why it's a woman of integrity that, that, that goes out through all the world, right? Um, and we turn a blind eye to the injustices and other atrocities that are directly in our past. We pretend there's been no casualties, no slips, nothing else back there. And I won't take too much time here, but I've already mentioned it. And I want to say it again. America was built on the backs of people who were ripped from their homes, separated from their families, and put into a form of indentured servitude against their will. And slavery is the, is the greatest black mark in our nation's history. And... It, and growing up in Southern California in 2019, we are so far removed from the concept of slavery and so far even removed from the concept of racism here. Uh, for those of you who haven't traveled outside of this little bubble where you're like, no, I've got a ton of black friends and, and friends of different nationalities and it's just normal that everything is at, at level ground. This is not the case across the country today and it certainly isn't the case of what happened within the last 50 years in our country. Because while slavery ended in the 1860s, it wasn't until the 1960s that there was another revolution, a civil revolution, right, that, that regarded civil rights with the likes of Martin Luther King and others who would fight, fight another war, this time without guns. And all of this is happening in the land of the free. In this incredible, exceptional country, we have these horrific things in our past. We could add to this the absolute atrocities that were enacted upon the Native Americans who were denied the land that was there, that was theirs, were treated as savages, rounded up and put into reservations, reservations which were little more than pens and prisons without bars until they were stripped of their individuality and their will to fight and they disappeared into the dark corners of our history books. America has a lot of bad things in our past. And some of them are that far back and some of them are even more recent. Uh, and while America's power has been used for many good things, we are by no means innocent. Our hands as a country are covered with blood. So to say America is great and to ignore all of this is a danger because we certainly are not justified in our errors and in our previous sins. Are you following? And we cannot just sweep them under as if they're no big deal. Okay, that brings us to, f to number four. Ooh, this is going to be a quick message. Congratulations. Number four. Another danger I would say is be wary of civil religion. Be wary of civil religion. And you might be saying, I don't understand what that means. And that's okay, because I'll explain it to you. Civil religion would be the act of, uh, of deifying the concept of America. And you're like, I don't know what that means either. It would be to worship America as God. And you're thinking, I don't, we don't do. But let me explain this to you. And, and let me read this quote. It comes out of this book by John Wilsey. And it's lengthy, but it's not that hard to follow. And I think it's really helpful. So listen carefully. 
He says this, quote, America is always right. Anyone or anything that stands against America is by necessity wrong. American society is the picture of health. The American constitution is flawless, inspired of God and perpetually enduring. The American military is long suffering, a force for justice and irresistible to every conceivable foe. American institutions are pure. The American people are possessed of an unconquerable spirit and limitless potential. America's God lavishes blessings and protection on the nation he specially loves and secures. And the American nature, as the answer to humanity's ills, stands apart from history, immune to the degradation and corruption to which all other nations and empires of the past have succumbed. America is a religious faith, one of the most beautiful concepts mankind has ever known, end quote. And that end part really summarizes it. America is a religious faith. The greatness of America... The concept of America potentially makes America an object of worship. It takes a transcendent position in the lives of its citizens. Uh, The concept of one nation under God. The statement of in God we trust are not accurate statements. For many in our society, America is a God that is worshiped. It is the beacon pointing to justice and to human flourishing. It's a system in itself of universal values and paradigms around which citizens can unite. For America, uh, the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution is like the Old Testament. And the Gettysburg Address and and Lincoln's second inaugural um, uh, uh, presidential address is treated in some ways as a New Testament. That's from Wilsey. I couldn't think of that on my own. But it's... a. America then becomes not primarily a religious construct, but rather a cultural and political construct that is shaped and formed by the circumstances and events of our time. Am I losing all of you? Probably. Um, But stay with me. We have no state religion here. We have a civil religion, and it finds its way into the heart of our nation. We don't stand for prayer, but we stand for a pledge of allegiance to the flag. We don't open a Bible we go to the Constitution to find out what the laws are that we are governed by. We, we go into a sporting event and we celebrate America, 70,000 people all focused on a flag and on a song that exalts the preeminence of our nation. We have symbols such as national cemeteries that are all over our land that we celebrate and we direct people to to talk about these memorials of great works done in our nation's history. We have a tomb to an unknown soldier in Washington, D.C., which is an amazing thing if you've ever been there, that is guarded 24 hours a day, seven days a week, regardless of what's going on. There are um, soldiers that guard and march across that thing, and it is amazing. Super cool. We celebrate national holidays that are typically president's birthdays, men like Martin Luther King and other um, awarded Uh, days like a Columbus Day or a Memorial Day that that celebrates fallen heroes and more. Many churches even encourage this kind of civil religion when they pull patriotism into church services, displaying American flags in church, singing patriotic songs, dedicating patriotic services, um, and in so doing, they give America a seat that she does not deserve in the community of the redeemed. And the point, very simply, is that For many people, America takes the place of who God is and is exalted in a place that belongs only to him. That's the concept of civil religion, and that's a danger. Still have you? Okay, the very last point here. 
if I can bring it all together, is this. America is not the savior. America is not the savior. While many deify America and look to America to solve the world's problems, I want to tell you something different. In 1862, um, Abraham Lincoln, addressing Congress, called America, listen to this expression, the last best hope on earth. That is a false statement. The last hope, the only hope, the real hope for this earth is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And while we can and while we should wave our flags in patriotic solidarity, as Christians, we must remember that there is salvation in no one else. For there is only one name given under heaven by which we must be saved. It's Acts 4.12. So we are thankful to God for a land of religious freedom. We're thankful for a place to worship without fear. But we must use this freedom to tell others of the saving work of Jesus Christ. Like I said earlier, when you mix together the patriotic nature of a great country with the responsibilities of the citizenship of the children of God, it, it, there is some spaces where they intersect and there are some, some spaces where they are in diametric opposites. The idea of America, freedom, equality, opportunity are all great ideals and all things to hope for, but without the removal of sin, the sinner stands condemned before a holy God. And our greatest need is not financial opportunity, a stock market that's surging, our team to win the championship, the idea that we can change our stars and become better than our parents and live a comfortable life in our culture. Our greatest need is to be freed from the shackles of sin and to have a relationship with the very God who made us. It's not the temporal hope that America offers, but the eternal hope that is offered to us in heaven for which we strive. And so I'll just end with this. There is, there is a city set on a hill. John Winthrop, in 1630, called it America. But the command of Jesus Christ for his people is to go into all the world and preach the gospel, the good news of the saving work of Christ, and to live as a people set apart so that we would be a city set on a hill and we would show off good works so that others would glorify God who is in heaven. The truth is that I love America, and I know you do too, and that's a great thing. But I love Jesus Christ more. And I am thankful for this nation, but I'm even more thankful that I have, according to Hebrews 11, a better country that is a heavenly one where God, who is not ashamed to be called our God, has prepared a city for us. I'm thankful for religious freedom, and I want to use that to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to all who will listen. Because listen carefully, America is not the Savior. Jesus is. And the message is that America can't save you while it can provide you with a great life. What we proclaim as believers is that there is hope only in the name of Christ. So, that's all I have. Uh, because I ran out of time to write a conclusion at the end. But uh, at the end of all of this, is America exceptional? Yes. Is that a unique place for us to be? Yes. But can I just remind you that there are dangers with waving that flag too high. And we must be careful as Christians first and Americans second to know who our allegiance is to and to remember that we must proclaim the good news of Christ to all who will listen. Amen? Amen.
All right, now you know what American exceptionalism is too. Let's pray and we'll be finished. Father, thank you so much for a different kind of night and a different look into a, a topic that has probably not been on many of our minds, but something that is important for us to articulate and even to grapple and wrestle with. So even as we consider our country, our heritage, and more specifically our future, I ask that you would make us bold uh, and, and those who would open their mouths to speak the good news of Jesus Christ to those around us. I pray even from this room that you would raise up some who would go um, beyond the, the four walls of this country uh, and would go overseas and to other places to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with those who have never heard. We're so thankful that it is in Christ and because of Christ that we can be set free. We are so thankful that you provided a way of escape from our sin. We're so thankful that we can know you as Savior and that you have prepared a city for us, not like America, but a place where we can be with you forever. And we look forward to and long for that day. We love you and we are so thankful that it's by your blood that we're saved. In Jesus' name, amen.